Welcome everyone to episode one of the Inside Out Loud uh, podcast series. This is the very first episode and we were talking about earlier, it's either going to be just incredibly stimulating conversation or it's going to be a total crash and burn, in which case this will be the last. We're going to talk about um, modern career sites. There's been so much going on related to that that just bears some discussion. So um, career sites, a hot topic we're going to hit. Uh, we have a few news stories and articles that we think are really cool we want to talk about. What's going on at Zappos? Um, that's crazy with their whole holacracy. Is there a big exodus happening? So we're going to hit that. Um, we have some really cool articles that we totally consider to be must-reads. One about culture fit, another one about why everyone loves to hate HR. So great stuff ahead. This career site topic was one that was so natural just because um, so many of our clients like have asked us about doing a brand new career site and we see this in the marketplace. We see so many people who are doing new career sites and it just seemed like a really natural um, topic. And I, you know, when you look at what's gone on just with websites in general, so much has changed in five years. I mean, they do not look anything like they did five years ago. So, I, and I know that's got to be like part of what's driving this, but I thought, you know, what perfect group here? We've got someone to talk about brand, which I think that's what you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have someone to talk about the creative side of it. And, you know, I'm the technology guy, so I'm going to talk about maybe those aspects. So I thought this is kind of the perfect group to, to talk about that. So really, the first question that I had about this that I wanted to put onto the group was really, like, what, what does a modern career site look like? And what, what, is, what looks different about them from how they looked, you know, five years ago? Um, so feel free to anyone to jump in on this. Yeah, I think that just from a, a storytelling component, they've definitely changed a lot. I think that, uh, you know, previously uh, career sites were really just kind of a receptacle for job recs, and it was just about job search. But now I think that, especially as the kind of economy is approved and, uh, uh, you know, we've gotten uh, uh, the competition for talent's gotten so much harder, I think that there's been more kind of emphasis on telling the story, what is the corporate culture like, what can you expect, what are the, the behavioral expectations when you walk in the door, and uh, what's life really going to be like here? And I think that people are really viewing their job decisions based on that lens as opposed to uh, previously where it was just kind of a, uh, you know, more of a, a kind of opportunity for them to really just dump their resume and move on. I think that people are wanting to know a little bit more about how a company operates on an everyday basis. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you hit on something that I think, like, we've got to just make some mention of in this, which was the C word, um, which is culture. <laughs> okay? So, because this, culture is such a hot topic right now. So, we people are talking about culture, and when you look at what's going on with all of these startups that are able to take a dozen people and create a billion dollars worth of value, they yeah. cite culture is like the most important thing, right? So everyone now sees that culture is not just about making a workplace that's fun, but it's about creating something that's really, really high performing, right? So, so how much do you think that that um, plays into it, Casey? I think that um, uh, the I think what, uh, when you look at websites of the past compared to now, I think that there has always been this kind of, um, we put culture on a about us page, on one page of the website, and we have our five little corporate values, and we have one sentence about them. That's not, that's not what culture is. It's also not, uh, you know, showing a picture of a ping pong table in your, uh, uh, in your office. That's not culture either. 
So it's about setting kind of, again, those like behavioral expectations throughout. And so that can be something, whether that's a work-life balance or somebody who went the extra mile for a client, um, to help bring those things to life. Because I think that, you know, and we were kind of talking about this uh, earlier when we were kind of warming up to this, but that the idea between consumer and employee are becoming much closer now. And so when you're looking at a career site, people already have a, generally speaking, have a ton of familiarity with your brand. They have some knowledge about it. They have some knowledge of you in the marketplace. And so what they're really looking for is kind of the, the uh, uh, what is the manifestation? If you look at Apple, they make incredibly innovative products, great. But what does that mean on the back end? Does that mean 120-hour weeks? Um, you know, I need to be, have a better understanding of what it is to kind of live that life that is able to bring these products to market. And so I think career sites are doing a much better job of highlighting their culture and demonstrating, you know, uh, in some ways the parts that are really good and some of the parts that are going to be really challenging uh, about coming and starting and working for a new company. Yeah. I agree with that, especially in the sense that if you can't tell something about a company's culture from their career's homepage, that it shouldn't be, you know, relegated to some tab on the side about us. Like, even the way that copy is written on that homepage, is it welcoming? Is it serious? Because it's a highly regulated industry. Like, that should be reflected from the first page that they land on. You should already sort of get an intuition about like, oh, I know what this company is probably like. The more you dive into it, that should be demonstrated from the beginning. I also think it's really interesting from how career sites and websites in general in the past have looked to now is this idea that people approach it much more like a journey and that the home page doesn't have to have everything. It's not like you land here and you know every single piece at my first glance, and I need to know all of it laid out for me. It's this idea that, well, I start here, and I see something, I read something that drives me to click on the next thing, and that drives me to click on the next thing, and that it is this journey within pages, and maybe it's scrolling through. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be clicks, but in the past, it was like, get as much, like as many tabs and as many widgets on that page because we want them to find whatever they need, whatever it might be the second they land here. It's like, no, draw them in. Just encourage them to explore because that's how they'll find stuff. You, you know, you bring, up a, you bring up a great point about the, the whole homepage thing and putting everything on it. And I think when you see that, it's still sort of, you, you, can, you can tell that the mentality of putting it together was that the homepage was the starting point for the journey. And the reality is when we look at analytics across websites for where are people entering into the sites and what are they doing, first off, the people that come into the homepage, generally a really high percentage, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60 to 90 percent, just click the search cruise button and they just skip everything that's on the homepage. That's all they want. So that's, that's, so that's one issue is like when they do come into the homepage, they're just skipping right by all that small. The second thing is that now, Google has become like the most important place that people start their search from. So what happens is, if you think about that journey, they go to Google, they search for a job, and they find a link not to the homepage because they're looking for like a job, like the role, they're looking for skills, uh, related things. So what happens is they find a job rep, and they click that, and they come in through a back door. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that I think, um, I think people are missing today in a lot of things. When I, when I look at the analytics is, they're treating the homepage as the only front door they have, when they should really be looking at where is everybody coming in and how many, I have a lot of doors. Every rec is a door, right? Any page, like, and in a lot of ways, Google nowadays thinks those homepages are, like, don't have a lot of value. They don't change nearly as much. They love recs, 
because they love uh, like blog posts and content that changes, right? So, so that's what I see like that's kind of missing. And so I know that we're starting to think a lot more about how do we make sure that every entry point actually draws the user in and uh, puts them on some certain path of the journey rather than just, you know, they're only going to come to the home page and a wreck is a wreck and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's what so, um, can be so challenging about uh, uh, how career sites were built in the past is that, um, that uh, uh, since the kind of uh, algorithm for uh, search has gotten so much better that the consistency is so much more important nowadays than it is than it was previously. And I think that, you know, how websites were just kind of built in the past, they weren't uh, kind of constructed, and, and Kai, I'm sure you'd be able to talk to this better than I can, but you know, uh, the websites now really need to be built in kind of a, a modular format so that things can be updated constantly. As you kind of look at, culture is a very, very fluid thing. And so we, culture is really a shorthand for like a number of different things that are all kind of lumped into one category. Your, your, your values, the, the kind of day-to-day a, a -day reality, uh, job roles and responsibilities that are all kind of folded into one. And so as you kind of experience this very fluid culture, you need to be able to have a kind of more modular format. And I think how websites were constructed for years is uh, you kind of, you create the website, you launch it like you wrote a book, and then you never touch it again. And so the content continues to get older, more stale, and people notice that. Uh, you know, and so I think that you need to, uh, you know, have a, a, a more consistent uh, approach like you would a consumer site, you know, having the exact same material on a consumer site day in and day out without updating it, without, uh, you know, addressing photography, without adding different mix of media. It just gets very stale and people notice that and they look at that as a company that's not really investing in innovation, that's not really interested in technology, and on top of that is not really concerned about your journey as a candidate. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree, totally agree. I, I love the modular, the modularity thing because as sort of someone with a technology background, when I look at sites, um, the, the modularity goes such a long way towards actually making it easier to update websites. You think about that from the beginning, and yeah. that way, then it's easy to create new stuff, get it up there. You have a lot, there's a lot of efficiency in creating sort of um, like a library of UX patterns that you're going to use, and then having this library where you can, you want to say something new, you put it in, drop it in as a module, um, I love that idea. I think that's really great. And I think um, from the technology side, I think the only other thing that I would add really is that you know mobile is something that not just has to be um, handled where you can deal with people coming out of mobile. You really have to think mobile first, and you have to consider that you know some of the most important visitors you have are going to be mobile, and that the experience between the difference between the experience of mobile and desktop they have got to be both just as great. And mobile may even need to be better. Yeah, mobile almost has to even be better because you're trying to provide something to somebody on a little screen versus you know the big screen. So for sure, that's super super important. Um, I want to we we had talked earlier about some of the websites we love, and I wanted to kind of jump right into those. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to miss those. Um, and this, of course, like. Time goes so fast when we're having these conversations. We're having fun. I know, I know. So I do want to jump into that. So, um, Casey, you mentioned um, one site. I'm going to let you talk about it a little bit first. But I, I, I still wanted to hate your pick. I, I wanted to be able to argue. I wanted to be able to argue with you to say like, no, I don't like it. I like, I don't like the pick. But you know what? I, I love the site. I, I really yeah. love. No, 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 you, let me just put your hands up. You have to give me a one for this and just give me the zero. Yeah. Honestly, like, I, I wanted to hate this site. I love it. It's so great. So, 
I only like good stuff. Uh, so yeah, so the site that I, that I looked at, and I think that everybody should go there and check it out, uh, because I think it's a really good, uh, 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 what, they're really selling the sizzle of working there. They're uh, giving a really good kind of glimpse into their culture, and they're really, it's super, super authentic, and that's Blizzard Entertainment. And um, if you're if you're uh, not, a, not a gamer, you've probably never heard of it, but they're responsible and, and probably one of the largest uh, uh, manufacturers, some of the top titles in the industry. So that's uh, uh, titles like um, World of Warcraft, uh, Diablo, uh, games that sell millions of copies that have tens of millions of uh, uh, monthly subscribers. And when you go to the site, uh, number one, they own the geekdom, like right off the bat. Like they're not shy about it. Uh, uh, they, to work here, you have to be passionate about the product, and the people that you hire play these products. They know it. And as a kind of, a, a, you know, these people are enthusiasts for the game, and who better to design a really incredible product for your audience than people who play it themselves? And that's really what they aim, uh, aim for. So the entire thing is very thematic. It's almost like a video game in itself. Um, you know, they, they highlight parts of their culture, like your 15-year anniversary, you're going to get a sword. You're going to get a sword. And so, uh, which is amazing, right? Good. <laughs> So they, hi they highlight things like that. Uh, it's also one of those sites that it looks pretty slick on mobile. You know, they didn't have to sacrifice a lot in terms of the design. Uh, they tell a really compelling story. And like I said, everything that they talk about, they really they own the fact that they are, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, that they're moving beyond a niche market, but that they've got a niche mentality, which is to stay really honest and authentic to the type of people that they are. And I just love that about it because there's a lot of companies that are kind of trying to do a little bit of everything and kind of appeal to everybody. And when you paint yourself with a really broad brush, you end up kind of coming off as disingenuous or uh, you're not very uh, ownable. You don't really have a personality. You're kind of bland. And when you hit this site, you know immediately the type of organization can be super fun, uh, really, really dedicated workers who are putting in a lot of time to make these really textured and lovely games that they're, that they're working on. So uh, definitely check it out, Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah, but one of the things that I liked about it is that beyond, you know, owning their geek, geekiness, as you put it, um, they also were able to bring out some of the other aspects of their culture that might not be appealing to everyone, but are very important to them. And one of the things that they talked about, you know, in the few areas that I looked was how much attention to detail and getting things right, working, you know, it has to be perfect. These games have to be perfect. This is how we get, you know, how we reach this level is the level of detail, and we would never put anything out that is anything less than 100% perfect. And if you, sorry. Oh, and if you I'm again, sure that's not true. <laughs> Um, I love the job search. 
Um, other thing that I really loved about it, which was at a very high level, yeah, <laughs> Olivia wants a job too. If I get hired there, Olivia, I'll bring you. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. I don't want a tour. Thanks. Oh, I still, I still want that but, like, math concern that they have there. Yeah, I still want that. I think I think my blood elf priestess is still in in stasis somewhere. I haven't played her in a while. So, so the other thing I really liked about it, which like it's kind of a deep thing, like it relates to Crusades, but um, I really think that a, a lot more companies, I think, are getting much smarter about recognizing that their impression with Canvas is probably 80% their consumer brand and only 20% or less of actually like the things that they say related to their employment brand. And they just, like, every single role that they have, they state in terms of the product. It's all about the product. And I think yeah. that they do a great job of recognizing that. So. So to me, that, that, that those kind of two things is that great job search and then just having everything be about the product. And the, the site is beautifully executed. They really built this themselves. Um, and it feels like whoever built this like really took a lot of pride. And these people were probably like obsessive about their own culture. Yeah, and they just yeah. really came out of it. So they didn't and somebody else built this for them. Like you should feel, that, feel like you, know, you did a really great job because it was good. So love. Love, love those aspects of it, personally. They're great. Oh, uh, we actually have a question uh, regarding some of this. Um, they want to know, uh, should the uh, recruitment branding aspect function sit with recruitment, or should it go to ads and communication? Yes. I, I don't know if that's the same person you already sent it in. I have that question. Oh, okay. And that one is like one of the highest ones on our list because remember when I mentioned but that some people send in really Warren or remember when I said people some people send in really hard questions? Yeah. That's, that's a tough one and there's I think there's something interesting about that. So we're absolutely gonna gonna cover that one. Okay. Um, we're gonna get to it um, yeah after the, the we did talk about some of these news topics. Um, yeah, I love that question. Let's put it put it actually I put it at the top of the list because it was really it's a, it's a really good one. And we have a little I have a little twist on that question as well. So um, stay tuned for that. So so Jess, um, you also have to say. Yeah. Tell us about that. I put Bloomberg, their uh, jobs at Bloomberg.com. And the thing that I like best about this is that more and more we're hearing about this insight that people just want to apply when they get to Job, or at least search and see what's there. But Bloomberg, when you go there, the first thing you see is a giant search bar that says, type in what you're looking for here. And it does a really good job of, you can start typing in a keyword, like data, and it will automatically populate jobs that have that keyword in it, say, are you looking for data research? Are you looking for data analysts at this level, or writing, or all the different options, and you can click on that, or you can click in your keyword. It's all about search, first and foremost. That is absolutely what they're promoting, because they've seen from user experience coming through, people weren't going to their homepage, they're going straight to the search bar, so they said, okay, let's put that front and center and let people do it. Then you dig further through, um, it's you know, a scrolling site and it's got a lot of content below it. That's where you can uncover more testimonials and all the other interesting content that they have about working there, but it really is pared down first and foremost to be about search and finding the jobs that you're interested in to make sure they exist before you go learn about all the other aspects of this employer. Yeah, and I liked I liked that I liked that aspect of because I thought the way that they treated search was 
very much in kind of, it's kind of like an alignment of their culture of being all about data. Yeah. And they kind of treated the job like data. Um, but that's, but I have to say, that's like one of my favorites. Like, I wanted, I wanted to love it, but I have like, and these things are a little bit nitpicky, but I'll tell you. Um, one thing was, the, the search stuff you mentioned was great. The challenge was that the keyword, the actual keyword matching the little drop down thing, yeah. did not work that well. Really but, didn't work here? No, it, it, it executed beautifully, like the technology part of it, but the actual thing that matches are weird. Oh. So, like, I typed in, you know, and they write a lot of articles, right? I put in the word copywriter, and I was like, there's nothing. But here's the thing. As I was typing it, I saw a flash up there, content writer, and other things that were related. And I realized that if I typed in copy, I got content writer. If I typed in writer, I got content writer. If I typed in copywriter, I got zero results. Interesting. So, so the ones that I put in were like doing a better job, and it sounds like not all of them were so, timed as well as they could be. Yeah, and I, I just picked some random things. So it could be that it was just unlucky and I picked some random things. But so then the other thing that kind of bugged me a little bit was that they did a good job with like the, I think the photography and a lot of the, the um, ambient video things. Yeah. Like, but their headlines, I felt like were terrible. There, there was like zero. I got zero sense of the brand from them. So, so the job search, when you go to the job search section, the hero headline is, we're hiring. Um, yeah. And then when you go to, when you go to the, like a section on, like, I don't, I don't remember what the title of the section was, it was like financial analyst. There was a, a beautiful hero with a great opportunity to have something about it. And the title was job, you know, as a financial analyst. Like, very literal. And, and maybe that's part of their culture, but I just felt like I didn't get, I wanted to get some sense of the culture from those headlines, and that's the perfect opportunity, because if you're going to look at one thing on the page, like, that thing is going to jump out and grab you, and what that thing grabbed me was, we're hiring. So, yeah. that was like my only grab, like, the rest of it's beautifully, it's beautifully executed, I will say that. And I'm, like, none of us are typical job seekers, because yeah. we obsess about these things, so we're going to be nitpicky, but yeah, so those things I'm going to consider to be nitpicky. Most people wouldn't even notice, probably, but anyway, that's what I thought about the Bloomberg. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, it's beautifully designed, leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of copy tone uh, and brand identity, yeah. but you know, it, you can't you can't have everything. Uh, uh, but the video is very very nicely done. I think that you know I wrote a blog uh, a while ago about um, HR videos, and some of them can just go so poorly. And uh, uh, and this is an example of one of them that that was done well, although it's like you said, it's very ambient. It wasn't necessarily driving a point. I wish it had a little bit more of that, but it definitely gave the kind of like 24 hour brand kind of uh, aspect to the to the ambient video and gave you a good mix of uh, kind of settings and environment, kept it kind of snappy, not too long. So yeah, I think there was some good parts, but it could definitely be better. I, I will caveat this by saying that was not my favorite site. Okay. I was pointing out yeah. the search feature as being the home page. And not for this And I just realized, Stacey, like I hope I didn't steal your thunder on this, because I just realized the technology guy just- You did feel a little better, but it's fine. Yeah. Okay, I just realized the technology guy <laughs> about copy on a site, which, I, I, I should barely be able to read, probably. Um, I should see if I'm reading. Let's see here. Exactly. I see it like the matrix. We just talked in the matrix. Yeah. So, so then I'll mention the, the one that I picked, which is uh, also not the greatest career site out there, but what I loved about it was 
I felt like it was really true to who they are, but not in not in like the brand way that we often think about it, but really just getting to um, something that was a lot more raw, um, that just went along with kind of their product. It, and this was medium.com in their jobs. And what I loved about it is, if anybody out there who knows medium.com is it's a, a kind of like a publishing, it's a, it's a web publisher that lets you know lots of people blog and write articles um, that are all almost all really long form. That I feel like medium.com is almost single-handedly uh, terrible to say, but they, and they haven't. But they've been a huge contributor in bringing kind of like the long form writing back. They've done a great job. So the interesting thing about it is I feel like they almost own this kind of long form, especially for like letting uh, uh, independent bloggers blog on it. But it's a long-form career site, long-form yeah. job descriptions. I mean, like literally, if you go through all of their job descriptions, first off, they're written beautifully. They yeah. really talk about what it's going to be like there, the culture. You will not find one bullet point, literally, in any job description. And to me, that really says something about what they were trying to accomplish with it. And then when you read these, what you find is that, that there's supplemental, like, you want to read, it, uh, read about somebody else in the department or whatever. And so you, when you click on this person's profile, you actually get just their normal medium profile. So it's what things that they wrote, what things they read about. So then you learn about them through the eyes of how they interact with their own product. So it's very meta, but um, something about it just, it, it just blends together with the product in a way to me that was awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it's so, so cool when you know when you're looking at, at content and how it's going to be how it's being created these days. And there's been such an emphasis and such a drive over the years uh, for shorter, tighter, shorter, tighter um, that it's become something that uh, of, of almost a joke. And are you really getting any flavor or texture for what it is to work there? Uh, you know, every every kind of job description is kind of boiled down to, to three or four bullet points, and and you know. You look at that and say, do I really have any idea what I'm actually going to be doing when I walk through the door? Am I actually qualified for this job? And so, you know, having this long form, it's a little bit, you know, challenging to read, you know, if, if, if you're really somebody who's going to sit down and read an 800 or 1,000 word job description. But at the same time, you are if you're going to work for Medium. And if you're somebody who goes to that site on a regular basis and you want to work there, you have absolutely no problem with that format. And that's exactly the type of candidate that you want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, we better we better move on. Um, as much as uh, the three of us and pretty much our entire organization can talk about career sites all day, this will definitely come up on another topic, and we may have. Uh, I'm sure we'll do another one where we, we kind of also talk about more sites that we love and uh, different uh, unique aspects of them. But I want to jump to some of these news stories because some of these are just really really interesting. And the first one is uh, Casey. I'll let you sort of talk about this, but um, yeah. basically. When, this, this article was titled, uh, What Happened After Zappos Got Rid of Workplace Hierarchy? And right. just let you just take it away. It's, uh, so Tony Hayes, she's the CEO of Zappos. They, they sell shoes and they've got this like hyper uh, uh, kind of community culture. They got rid of job descriptions. They instituted that if you wanted to get a job here, you had to join our social network. Like they're those kind of people. They give out a lot of high fives, you know what I mean? Like that type of place. And so uh, they <laughs> have gotten rid of, essentially, hierarchy entirely. So uh, basically, you have kind of self-managed teams. And so um, if you look at one end of the spectrum of uh, an organization like the Army, where it's 
highly hierarchical. There's uh, uh, clear food chains for everybody. Uh, Tony Hayes really wanted to get away from that, and he wanted everybody to kind of live up to their, to their potential. This was a big change. And so all of a sudden you have people who have years of, of kind of uh, uh, skin in the game. They've uh, developed a management and, and so forth. Now all of a sudden you're taking all that away. And so uh, usually they have about a 20% turnover. This year they had 30%. So they lost an additional 10% of their employee, uh, employee base. But what I would say, and I think what Tony, if he was here, what he would say also is, in addition to eliminating that structure, what he also gave, which is part of their culture, with this huge change, he said, if you don't like it, we will give you five and a half months salary to leave. And so he would say a lot of people took it because they wanted to pursue their passions and pursue their goals. And, uh, you know, and with culture fit, when you give people that option to say, we're taking this massive change, you no longer have a boss, uh, you just have a directive and a goal, and you're going to all kind of work together like some kind of giant living organism to do it. Um, uh, you know, that's a very, very challenging thing for people to undertake. So it's really interesting when, you know, work culture is really, uh, it's like a giant society. And so when you start taking away bits of it, is it something that stands up over time or is it something that collapses? Um, you know, I think that we've all worked in organizations where there's um, hierarchy for no reason whatsoever. Somebody has a, a, a certain title and you have no idea why they have it or what they do or how their job's different than your job. So. Uh, you know, I think in some ways it, it cuts down on a lot of jealousy. It cuts down on a lot of like the backstabbing ladder climbing. Uh, but you know, in other ways, I think it's uh, it can be a little uh, overwhelming for some people to be a part of something that's basically just uh, you're a part of a tribe now, and you're going to have to negotiate with other tribes to get stuff done. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Would you rather have a little bit more hierarchy or less? Well, I, don't, I like to be paid like five and a half months salary to quit. Like not. That's the perspective here, right? Like, there are many organizations that have higher than a 30% uh, turnover rate who don't pay people to quit. I mean, we're talking about, yeah. I, I read part of it, right? Yeah. An average of five and a half months of pay to quit. Yeah. They're offered, right? And their, their normal thing they call the offer is you yeah. go through training, and they basically say, we'll give you $2,000 to just leave right now, right? Right. Who, who does that? Right? Like, that's crazy. Because you so, have to really want to work here. Like, it must be worth yeah. more than that $2,000 for you to be like, no, Zappos is my home, and I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. I'll leave that money on the right. table. So, so, so normally, it's a great idea. 80% of your employees would turn down cash to just walk away out of the trade, right? Like, that's awesome to me, like, in my book. So, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I really don't think there's anything wrong there, anything going on. I think that. There, I think a lot of people maybe cannot work under the holacracy thing. I think that there, those people, rightly so, should take the money and run. That's a great deal, you know. Like, and I think there's there's going to be some challenges for them for sure. But yeah. the thing is, it doesn't have to be like totally black and white. Like, I'm sure they're going to make adjustments. I'm sure they're going to tweak things. And um, I think that they're so obsessed with their culture and making it a great culture that. They're going to do the right thing, and they're going to figure out what that is, like no matter what. So I, I'm, I'm so not worried about them. They're yeah, going to continue to be an amazing company. Yep. Yeah. I, I have to say, there's one thing I got to think about that a bit, and I totally didn't even think about this till just now. So I, I once, one time we were looking at their their uh, career stuff, maybe um, it was a while ago. I don't know, like a year, year and a half ago. And I think it was when they announced they were getting rid of you know, the ability to apply for a job, and they just needed to join the community. And I remember looking at this photo, and I remember thinking, just from the one photo, I remember thinking, I could never work there. 
This is yeah. so and you know what the photo was? I don't know if it was the same for you. For me, what that photo was, I saw this photo of like their whole like sea of people, and the first thing I thought was, oh my god, these people are cubicle hoarders. They have so much scotch cheese and junk in their cubes that it would drive me crazy. Um, I always like to leave my cubicle looking like, you know, if I didn't show up one day, people would say like, does he still work here? Because his desk is very neat, um, almost too neat, and that's kind of like my goal. So. I saw that photo and I'm like, I could never work it. It would drive me crazy. Is that, is that the one you saw in Casey? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's that. And like I said, it just seems like an organization that gives a lot of high fives. You know what I mean? I'll just kind of say that as it is. You know, it's, uh, uh, I think it's an organization that, that I think I would roll my eyes a lot uh, at some of this stuff. But, you know, uh, at the same time, it looks like big smiles. It looks like everybody's having a good time. So, I mean, it's like, who am I to judge? There's people out there that live for tachis and high fives, and they are the exact people that Zappos wants to come work with them. So they're not shying away from putting that on display because that's who they want to attract. No, it was it's very smart. So as far as like the culture thing putting out there, as far as they they're, they're nailing it. Like yeah. it's, I think it's really good. So and, and briefly out there, there's also an interesting story. If you Google like Zappos Exodus, there's a lot of other great articles. There's another one from Fast Company, a little longer than the, the one from the, uh, the Atlantic that we were talking about. Really, yep. really great as well. So you know these because they're they're interesting. They all kind of hit on different things, and I I think largely you know most people kind of felt like yeah a lot of people are leaving, but they're they're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, yep. folks you know, they're focused on culture. I think it's pretty smart. Um, so let's jump over, Jeff. You had a really great article that I thought was um, really interesting, and in fact blew my mind a little bit with what was in here. Um, we already talked about it a little bit, but we'll get into it. And uh, the second article was uh, the one question you should ask about every job. You need a high five. That's a. This was the one question you should ask about every new job, and this was an op-ed in the New York Times. Uh -huh. um, really interesting. Just, just tell us about the article. So um, it's an opinion piece written by this guy Adam Grant, and you know I'll say that it's it's an opinion. I'm not sure how much I agree with it, but he had interesting points, and it's written as like from a talking to a candidate, a candidate perspective of what you should be asking in order to uncover culture of an organization that you might be joining. Because so many people are realizing that they don't have to just apply to a role or even just apply to an industry, but it has a lot to do with, you know, am I going to fit in at a big company that's very hierarchical or, you know, a smaller company that does things this way? Because, you know, you can be a person in the finance department in the fashion industry and it still makes a big difference if you're at a big company or a small company. Like these things sort of um, are modular in that sense that the role and the industry don't necessarily indicate culture. So really learning what questions you should ask to uncover culture is important for candidates. So the questions that he said every candidate should ask about this company as they're evaluating whether or not they want to work there are, what is the leader like? Is there mobility for people at all levels, including lower levels? Are they able to rise through the ranks? Um, will I get fired or let go during layoffs, something like that? And uh, how are mistakes handled? And if you can sort of uncover the answer to those three things, or those four questions, it really buckets into three key things that companies need, need to think about because candidates need to think about them, and it is, is this a place that um, is fair? Is there job security? And 
do you have control and or influence over your role and your destiny within this company? And the way he poses it is almost, and this is where we were talking about it that was just sort of mind-blowing, is that these things are almost binary. That like, yeah. if the company, it either is fair and people at the top are held to the same standards that everyone else is, or it is not, and it is, it is not, then no one should want to work there. If it is a secure place to work, if they deal with, you know, market changes well and are nimble enough to adapt to that, or do they just lay everyone off without really thinking about it, then, okay, then it's a bad place to work. And thinking about these things in sort of yes-no terms, where I think it's more of a spectrum about these things, but there's still interesting buckets in terms of how to think about, um, you know, how people at the top act how people is at the bottom are allowed to move through the company, what type of security it has. So what were y'all's thoughts on, on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I think some of those questions were really interesting. And, and honestly, uh, I think that, you know, as you're kind of interviewing people, that you should kind of be evaluating these things yourself and kind of thinking about how you're communicating the opportunities in your organization to candidates. So it's not really just how candidates and the, the kind of questions they should be asking of you, but also how are you selling your organization to candidates? Uh, you know, I've definitely worked at organizations before that, uh, you know, I've been told from managers that if a person asks about advancement, they're not going to fit in here because there is none. And so, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you're just like, wow, okay, okay, <laughs> you know, that's good to know. Yeah, exactly. Love it. That sounds great. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a, it's a really good way to kind of evaluate your culture on, on kind of two different perspectives. Uh, it's really kind of a two-way street. Yeah, and, and you're right, like, the, the binary thing I was a little bit, you know, not, I thought that was a little bit weird because I do also feel like there's more of a structure than I thought. This was sort of one aspect of culture. I think there's a lot of others about it, but I think the one thing that it hit on, though, that I thought was really key is that, you know, all, so many of the questions that it said to ask were all about the people at the top and what, what they were like. And I think this is, this is where something that's just, you hit on something that's so true, which is, that culture comes from the folks at the top. And right, like they, they're the ones who make all of the difference in the organization. You can't have a CEO who says, we have a crappy culture and I want to fix it. And like, here's a, here's a budget, go fix the culture, like make it better. Because the, the one problem with their culture is probably the CEO himself. If, or herself. And if they aren't owning it and living it, then it can't just be a mandate different from don't, you know, do as I say, not as I do. It's like, no, you represent that. And if you don't believe in it or practice it every day, then there can be no expectation that an HR department or any of your employees are going to magically make that happen without seeing you do it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that actually, that leads us uh, perfectly, I think, into the, the last article that we had, which uh, was one that I picked. It um, was called, Why We Love to Hate HR and What HR Can Do About It. And, and this was published in the Harvard Business Review. Um, and I, I, I really like this. It's a bit longer than the others. Um, it's worth a read. Yeah, it's definitely worth a read. And I, I know we're going to share the, the, the link there with everybody in here. But basically, the, the summary of this article is it, it talked, and part of the reason it was a little bit long, was it talked a bit about the history of HR and really about how HR was seen as an important group and did important things largely during times when good employees were scarce and it was really hard to get talent. And then in those times when you know, people were plentiful, HR really wasn't taking that much of an active role in the business, and it kind of just sat back, and everybody sort of questioned, like, why do I even have an HR department? Do I really, do I really need these folks? And 
you know, it was not really fair to them because they didn't have a lot of these demands on them, but it really kind of pointed to, you know, some of what the article was trying to get across, which is that HR um, should, can't just look at best practices. Um, they really need to be a lot more strategic in what they do. And um, they had, actually, I'll, I'll run through these great points that they had in here, but um, you kind of whittled this down to these five sort of key things. Is one is that HR needs to uh, set the agenda, which is to really show why HR matters to the business. Um, they need to focus on the here and now, and this was that being more strategic, like really looking at what does the business need and going after that, and for things that you know are not important to the business, you know, let them go. What problems are other people within the company dealing with today, and how does HR help with that? Exactly. Exactly. The other one was acquiring business knowledge. And particularly, the one he focused on was analytics. And how do you use analytics? And I know for most folks in HR, analytics can often be very far from the way that they, you know, the job they normally see doing. Because, you know, they have to deal with people fundamentally, and people are very complicated to measure. But analytics are just, it's just a huge area where um, HR can benefit from bringing those in. Uh, they need to highlight financial benefits of what they do. Um, I think the idea of HR trying to calculate ROI is very difficult, but if you can pull that off, you're going to be seen by leaders as being a much more important part of the business. Um, and the last thing was um, what they called was, which I love, was walk away from time wasters. And the example they provided was a really, really tough example. I know that's why you're smiling, Jeff. I know. The, the example they said is that if your top executive leadership does not care about diversity, you should walk away from it. And the reason was that you are never going to get the support you need, and you're going to be spinning your wheels on something that nobody sees as valuable in the organization. And these are the guys, people who hold the purse strings. They're the ones who are, you know, setting all the business stuff, and they're going to look at you and say, yeah, you're wasting your time on this thing that we don't care about. And yeah. I, it's I don't know. It's awful to say that, but I mean, this was just, the, this was just <laughs> one example. But it was a good example. But I don't think... So the, I don't know if it's the converse or the inverse or whatever of that statement is that really HR shouldn't be in charge of these diversity initiatives. It needs to be CEOs and C-suite and leadership saying this is important to us and here's how we live it every day because if they're not doing it, nothing that HR comes up with in terms of rotational programs or outreach or anything like that is going to make a dent if it's not being lived from the top. And so it does end up wasting HR's time on these little one-off initiatives that everyone rolls their eyes at because it's like, oh, HR is making us go to another seminar. But I know that like the top guy doesn't believe in it, so why do I care? And so as much as I absolutely am a proponent of diversity and it needs to be more important, I sort of agree with the idea that HR shouldn't be the only ones in a company left to deal with it. It should be everyone's problem, most importantly, the top brass's problem. Yeah. Sure. No, but, uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, in, in keeping with that, that there, there, there are certain things that although everybody might not see, uh, you know, an inherent value in it, that doesn't mean that there isn't one. And so I think that, you know, that this is a really good opportunity for HR to show their value and to demonstrate that there's kind of a business case to be made for some of these things and to help drive the opinion changing in an organization. I think that it kind of plays into the narrative that he set up, and I, honestly, I think this author was way too hard on, on uh, HR professionals in general. But that the uh, you know that the idea of kind of just let's do what the CEO says and kind of take his take his uh, uh, perspective, that's something that I just really just don't ascribe to. I, I think that you know there's a real opportunity for leadership on 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 that path, and not everything has a 
um, ROI value, but that doesn't mean that there's not a kind of institution or cultural value. No, but I think that's just, that's exactly what needs to happen, is that HR, if they're going to still be in charge of these diversity initiatives, to, to your point, Casey, they need to prove the ROI on it, that, like, they need to do the research and do the, you know, the numbers crunching saying that going after these types of candidates have affected our bottom line in these type of, of ways, because if it's, again, if it's just a seminar because it says, like, we should be doing these things, no one sees value in it, everyone rolls their eyes at it, and I, I don't know. You have to think, you go to any CEO, right? If you can prove the ROI on diversity, you see who's going to throw money at you. Yeah. Like, plain and simple, right? Like, that's the reality. Is that that's what they're looking at, and that's what they have to deal with. So it's really important, I think, to, to focus on that. So this has been awesome. I think yeah. we should probably, probably wrap for the day. Um, thank you guys both for joining me. Um, Casey, I really wish you could have been here in person. Um, that would be really sharp. Um, but, um, anyway, thank, I, I wish you could have been here in person, but it's really was uh, amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you guys. Thanks, thanks Olivia, for always uh, pulling me together without too many hitches. No um, I don't want to jinx her, because last time I said, last time I said she pulled you off perfectly, everything went wrong. So I'm not going to say that anymore. Thank you. Alright, well thanks everybody. Thank you everybody for joining us and we hope you join us for the next one. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye.